This is the best, most fun I have ever, ever, ever had on a podcast. This is a hit. I'm Jesse Cole, your host of Business Done Differently, where we get to meet successful people who look at business differently and we get to know them in a different way. The quality of the answers that we get in our life are in direct proportion to the quality of the questions that we ask. So let's start with what next? What's the next thing I need to do? Like in your case, Savannah Banana is all about the fan experience. What's the next thing we need to do right now to enhance the fan experience? What's next? And then the other thing is what else? What else haven't I thought of that I might think of? That it, it sort of takes it, you know, a little step further. So you know, I'm asking those two questions: what else and what next? Excited to have Randy Pennington here, the author of Make Change Work, Results Rule, and Oh My Honor, I Will. Uh, Randy has been at work with a client's list of who's who. He was also a musician at Six Flags, inducted into the Speaker Hall of Fame, worked with State Farm Marriott, some other great companies. Uh, got a great story. Excited to hear today with Randy. But Randy, we're going to start with today's word of the show. So the word of the show is from your book, the amazing book, Make Change Work, from Dr. Merlin Dye. And I want to pronounce this correct. Is it spine-aiding? <laughs> Spinating. Spinating. And can you define that? Yeah, Dr. Dye was one of my old psychology professors and in graduate school. And he says humans have this tendency, and the way it's supposed to work is a, a sensation hits the nerve, it runs up the nerve and hits the brain, hits the spinal column, goes up through the head, through the brain, and comes back out in the mouth. He said a lot of people are guilty of spinating, which means the nerve impulse comes and it gets to right about here on the back of your neck and then shoots straight out the mouth without ever going without ever going through the brain. And, you know, I think that explains a lot for, for people. <laughs> so basically, it's just when someone will just, without thinking, say something? Without thinking, say something. Without thinking, do something. Without thinking, uh, respond to something. And, and by the way, when you stop, when you don't think about it, uh, that's when you typically get yourself in trouble. Well, we don't want to get you in trouble, but I think some spine inning could be fun on this show, so we'll see what happens. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> we'll do a little of that, no doubt. Right. Uh, outstanding. All right, I want to open up with gratitude, attitude. Thank you. I think you need to start every day with gratitude. So I want to know, what are you grateful for right now? But you have to stay in with different emotions. So the emotion I'd like you to say your gratitude is, is you're pumped up and you're overwhelmed. Yeah. I'm pumped up and overwhelmed by how good my clients are. Um, you know, I, I, I I'll, I'll give you an example. I mean, I had this yesterday. Um, one, one of my clients is a longtime client. It's actually municipal government. These guys are amazing. I mean, Jesse, they get what they're trying to do. I mean, just just to put it into perspective, uh, in the last 10, 12 years, they've reduced their headcount by 10% maintain the same exact same service level and seeing the population they serve grow by 20 percent wow so when's the last time you saw any government do that anytime no and and so so i'm talking to the guy he's the chief of police and he was telling me he, he said he was talking to a guy from the air force and he said the air force does something they call re-bluing now, Air Force uniforms are blue, and he said, periodically, we go, Air Force goes in, and they try to challenge people to re-engage on why they joined the Air Force, which they call, the term they use is re-bluing for that. Now, what this guy was saying is, because cop uniforms are blue for the most part, too, he said, we're, doing, we're, we're going through that in my 
police in my department, I'm I'm going through and challenging every single police officer to re-engage with why they became a police officer. Why'd you become a police officer rather than a plumber or owning a minor league baseball team or you know, why did you do this? And so it's like I, I am pumped up and I'm, I'm completely amazed. When you think about it, that's pretty brilliant. Well, because about- they're they're going to their purpose. They're understanding the why. They're talking about it all the time. So, you know, so for you, that keeps you, you know, excited about what you're doing. But you know, how does that go into your story? How, how, what's your story to stay into your purpose, like the rebluing that they're doing? Well, see, my my story is is I mean, I, I got into this business because I, I, I'm a son of a diesel truck mechanic. My dad had a real job all of his life, unlike what I do, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and and so. You know, I became fascinated very early, Jesse, with how do organizations work, and more importantly, why don't they work? Mm-hmm. I mean, when you think about it, we spend a ton of our time working in organizations every single day. It's in, probably more there than we do at home, yeah. which is sort of a tragic. That's a different conversation. <laughs> but I, you know, I became very, very fascinated by seeing why do some organizations work and why do they not? Mm-hmm. And and what I found is organizations work or don't because of great leaders like this guy who's thinking about how do I help my my team reconnect with its purpose? And so really my story and the thing that I'm grateful that I've been able to be successfully unemployed for a lot of years now is that I get to see great leaders get it. Mm-hmm. And by get it, I mean get it with how do we create a great customer experience? How do we create a great culture and team experience how do we how do we make this work and the chance to be involved at that at so many levels with so many different kinds of organizations uh, first off I, I I'm not only pumped by it I'm also amazed that I've had this opportunity for this journey for the last 30 or so years yeah you actually yeah. get paid to learn from other great companies that's right. Yeah. yeah. I, in, in some respects, I'm sort of like um, the troubadour, the, the old troubadour that went from town to town to town. And they told the stories of the, the, the troubadours basically were originally news carriers. They told the story of what they learned in the other town through song at the next town. Well, that's in essence what I get to be is a sort of a new age troubadour. Uh, that's outstanding. All right. Now we're going to making change work. And you shared a little bit, but why are you so fascinated by change? Because not many people are writing books about change, Randy. No, yeah. Uh, one, it's, it's a universal experience. Everybody <laughs> changes. I mean, we're all doing it. And, you know, we, we kind of go through periods where we struggle with it and we don't. And, you know, right now, I found that most of the clients that I work with really all understand me. We all understand that we need to change. Mm-hmm. Everybody does. It, it's a natural part of life. I I went to the eye doctor some time ago, and when I at the end of the eye exam, that my eye doctor came out to me and said, "Randy, there's great news. Your arms will be long enough for another year." <laughs> now, I mean, if you're at a certain age, you understand that that means that your eyes are changing. We all change all the time, and and so uh, you know, if you think back on it. Um, we all know that we need to change. We all know that it's happening all the time, and we're all really bad at it. Um, the statistics were 20 years ago, John Cotter wrote in the Harvard Business Review, 70% of change efforts fail to achieve their desired result. And, and why, in a, in a simple way, why is that? Uh, I think my, my theory is a little different from Cotter's. My theory is... Uh, Change doesn't fail because we don't know how to do change management. 
It doesn't fail because of faulty management. It fails because of faulty leadership. Now, isn't that just saying that aren't leaders, well, you hope, managers and leaders, aren't they similar? Um, they don't have to be. I mean, you know, I, I go back to um, one of the things I remember Ross Perot saying years and years and years ago. Ross Perot said, you manage data and things and you lead people. I mean, I mean, Perot was more like, you manage data and things, you lead people. But it's, <laughs> it's a good impersonation but, there. <laughs> but the... But the point is, is that management of change, I mean, that, that typically in most organizations is projects and timelines and deadlines. And yeah. Change never fails because of that stuff. It, all, it always fails because the people screw up the projects and the timelines. And, you know, yeah. It's, not, and, not, it's and so, not necessarily the plan. It's the people that are executing it. They either don't believe it. They don't embrace it. They don't want it to be a part of it. They don't have the urgency around it. Okay. They don't want to be a part of it. Yep. They, they resist it. They okay. do all those things. And so when I see organizations, by the way, every – all leadership ultimately is about change leadership because you want people to do things differently. Yep. Nobody becomes a leader to say, yeah, my job here is to maintain the status quo. Yeah, <laughs> 100%. 100%. Yeah. Now, yep. there's some managers that's jobs that way, but leaders aren't that way. Leaders are about how do you improve the status quo, which means people have to change, which means takes us back to why change is so critical, critical so, today. So how do you get people to accept change? That are against it. Some people, some people are stuck in their ways, or maybe they're not. Maybe it goes into leadership. Can you share a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I I, I tend to look at things pretty simply. Um, people change for one of two reasons: crisis pushes them to change, opportunity pulls them to change. That's pretty much it. So you think about people in your health. Um, people decide to get healthy, not because crisis pushes them. Okay. They, they, they're, most people, if you think about people, have you ever known somebody that's had a heart attack? Uh, have you ever seen somebody have a heart attack and then decide to get healthy? Yeah, and it's not that they didn't know they should be doing those things before. That situation. Yeah, yeah. see, ch yeah. change is never about intellectual understanding. It's never about the knowledge. So here's the question that I ask group, and I've been asking this group forever. How many of you know you should eat healthier than you eat today? Everyone raises it. How many of you know you should exercise more? Yeah, yeah. you smoke. How many of you know you shouldn't? <laughs> so it's never about the knowledge. It's always about the emotional readiness. Okay. To actually do something. It's about that push to get there. And and what pushes us? Crisis or pain pushes mm -hmm. us, or a really big opportunity pushes us. And the opportunities that and I see, I think that's where most leaders and most businesses are not getting what they need to do is because you know they're focusing on the, the opportunity is not big enough yeah the opportunity is not enough to engage people and go yeah we want to do that <laughs> no, but that's, that's really, really, basically people change for those two reasons no that makes so but for you and I know you give us some examples in the book about when you gained 70 pounds and you had to lose it but what change has been the hardest that that you've had to accept in your life getting old <laughs> um, well, how are you accepting? I mean, everyone, that's just part of life, but how, is that, how has that been hard for you? Yeah, I mean, it's been hard for me. I mean, there's two things that, that accept that. It, so in, in my business, um, by the way, it's not unlike your business. Um, the, the Savannah Bananas are a cool new thing right now. You're still new and you're upcoming. One of the challenges that you're going to face in your business is one that I face in mine is how do you stay fresh? And relevant. Because, yeah, how do you stay relevant? And that's the big thing of what, by the way, the, the, the hardest part of, of, of aging in a job, aging in a career, aging as a business, is to realize how do you stay relevant? 
And so you could, I could easily just say staying relevant is the same way of doing it. So how, you know, how do I stay relevant? One is I write a lot. I yeah. mean, if you look on the internet, you look, you, you write Randy Pennington, and especially if you go to Huffington Post, you see Randy Pennington, a ton of crap that I've written. Do you have a time, time that you write every day? Because I'm, I write every morning. I have kind of. Do you have a time that you write at your best, or how do you stay uh, people to keep used to a, a routine? What do you, what's your routine on that? Yeah, I don't write every day, mostly okay. because I got client stuff that I'm, I'm on yeah. the road with and what have you. Yeah. But I write pretty much 45 47 weeks a year wow. and I will I will block a chunk of time and and I usually have a goal for that time and it, you know if I'm writing a piece in fact I'm, I'm writing I'll write one tomorrow because I've been gone all week this week we're recording this on a Friday I'll write one on Saturday um, I've got to write 700 words boom 700 words commit to it and um, and if it takes me three hours, some days 700 words is like 15 minutes. <laughs> some days 700 words is, you know, you know, honey, I'm sorry I can't come to dinner. <laughs> I've still got 200 more words to go. So, and, and you're still and you're still married. <laughs> yeah, and it's you just got to have the discipline to get it out there and to do it. And uh, you know, even though I don't sit down to write every day. I'm thinking about what I'm going to write, yep. at least some every day. Yep, and I write down those notes of things that I want to write about tomorrow. It's a thing outstanding. All right, right we're gonna get we're at some great knowledge on changes. We're gonna get into our first game here, Randy. All right, this okay. is Business Jeopardy. It's the Coyote versus the Dodo Bird edition. Okay, so we're going Got right it. into that. So if you want to maybe just in in one sentence or two explain the Coyote and the Dodo Bird from your book, so we can get into why this is part of what we're doing here. All right, first off, Dodo Birds. Um, Dodo birds couldn't adapt. I mean, and, and it wasn't just that they became extinct. Dodo birds became extinct because they couldn't adapt. They couldn't fly. They lost their ability to fly. They became fat, dumb, and happy. They became extremely complacent because they never they never feared anything, and they never um, they never had to worry about where am I going to eat next because all the food was right there on the ground. So when the when the sailors came ashore in the 1600s, the dodo birds, not knowing any fear, walked right up to them. Um, which, if you're thinking about it, a three-foot-high bird comes up to you, if you and you're, you know, you've been on a ship eating whatever they ate on the ship at those times. I mean, I'm thinking lunch. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> so, but the, the, it was actually the unintended consequences. So, dodo birds didn't have the ability to adapt. By the time they figured out they needed to adapt, they couldn't. Coyotes, on the other hand, are the most adaptable animals on the planet, just about. Mm-hmm. Um, they've now seen their, they've now grown from being primarily in the desert southwest or literally being everywhere. You have them in Savannah, I'm yeah, sure. Everywhere. And, 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 and the thing is, they will eat just about anything. They're quick. They're adaptable. They're some of the most adaptable animals in the world. So uh, one of the things we talk about in the book is don't be a dodo bird. Be a coyote. Love it. Okay. So on that note, you got a business, Jeffrey. you got to answer as a question. This is the average speed of a coyote. What is... 40 miles per hour. Boom. Nailed it. All right. If you get most of these right, I'll have to howl like a coyote because this is impressive. All right. (laughs) I will actually do that. Number two, this is one of the main enemies of coyotes and has killed more than 500,000 of them. Um... What, what are humans? <laughs> two for two. Impressive. All right, this is not looking good for me. The third one, the dodo bird lived on just one island, this island. 
What is the island of Mauritius? <laughs> three for three. All right, the final one. No one's ever got all four right. The dodo bird was depicted inaccurately as wise in this fairy tale. Uh, what is... Uh, oh, it's... Um, oh, I, I know. It's, it's around the tip of my... Uh, what is... Went down the rabbit hole. Um, yep, yep, you're there. This is just a movie too, a few years ago. Yeah, it was a movie too, it was a few years ago. Yeah, I, 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 I'm, I know it's the one where they get uh, through the. It could be, it's the same. It's the first version of whatever through the looking glass was. It's the whatever that one was yep. too. Yeah, I'm gonna give it to you, Alice in Wonderland. Alice in Wonderland. So yeah, that, that's what oh! it was. Yeah. You have won Business Jeopardy. I am blown away. All right, four for four. Now, can you give an example of a coyote business or a person that you've seen, maybe not everyone knows, that is very nimble, quick, adaptable? That's like a coyote. Or you can start with um, a dodo bird first. Either one. I'd like to know each one. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the coyote. Um, a company, I mean, obviously the easy one for everyone is Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but you know when you think about how Amazon started, that's the one that's very visible to everybody. Amazon started off as they were a bookseller. Yeah. But Amazon was never really about a bookseller. Amazon was always a technology company, mm-hmm. um, and they just happened to sell books. Yeah. Well, I mean, but they have been they have proven themselves over the years to be extremely nimble in how they do things, to be extremely risk that uh, they will take risks on things. Um, but Amazon is probably as good a one right now as you see in the marketplace on a large scale. Yeah, and it's what business are you and what business are you really in? And Amazon definitely right. knew that right away. Uh, what about a dodo bird? Uh, boy, pick. <laughs> That's a really a much easier one. Sears uh, is one. Um, if you've been around long enough, but, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, pretty much any legacy retail. So, uh, here's the great thing, and the reason I, I, I mentioned Sears. Sears should have been Amazon, mm-hmm. but they didn't because they got fat, dumb, happy, and complacent. Because they were stuck on being a retail company. Yeah, they were stuck on being. But I mean, Sears yeah. always was was a brick and you know. The, but they were always a distribution company. Yeah, with a catalog with everything. You know, Sears should have been Amazon. Yeah, but they weren't. Um, Blockbuster should have been Netflix. As a matter of fact, there's a great quote, uh, Jim Keyes, who was one of the CEOs, the last CEOs of Blockbuster, December 2008, earnings call. Uh, here's what Blockbuster said, uh, the CEO of Blockbuster. As for the competition, we're not worried. The Blockbuster brand is so well known. Done. Um, yeah. By the way, that was about three months after they had uh, turned down the opportunity to buy Netflix for like fifty million or something like that. Easy, yeah. And it's because they were they were more in love with their product than they were in love with their customers. And we talk all about it. they knew their customers. Their customers, as Netflix, they split the company and were criticized like crazy. But they knew the customers wanted to go into the streaming. That's where we we're going to go. It wasn't going to be DVDs forever. I mean, brilliant foresight. You talk about vision. Walt Disney, Reed Hastings. You know, there's some serious vision there. You know, right well, now. And, and, and Hastings actually said one of his biggest fears at Netflix is they wouldn't be able to make the jump from DVD to streaming. <laughs> that we were going to be too complacent with our success at DVD that we would never go, that we would never get to streaming. So um, and in essence, I mean, when you think about it, that's the ultimate, that's another coyote business. That is a business that's consciously thinking about um, 
how do you eat your young, so yeah. to speak? No, I love it. I love it. On that same note, from a business standpoint, is there a business that you would do an all-in investment in right now? Is there a business that if you were watching, that you said, or if you were you're paying attention to right now, that you'd want to put all in on? Um. Well, if if I could have been all in on Netflix five years ago, I would have been all in on it. I mean, I think it may be a little. I mean, it's certainly a value now. I own Netflix now, <laughs> uh, but I mean, it, it, if if I if I could have been there five years ago and I had the cash to go all in, I would have been all in on that. Um, there was there's a little company. There's this great little company, small business. And they weren't doing a round of uh, they weren't doing a round of fundraising. Otherwise, I would have considered it. It's a little company that I met. It's called Pickup. Okay. And it's Uber for pickup trucks. <laughs> um, so here's what I mean. So you, you you know you go to Home Depot, you go to Lowe's, you go to the Garden Center, whatever, and you're, you you show up in your car. But how do you get the stuff home? Oh, okay. And it's an app based pickup, and they only hire. Uh, ex-military ex- and uh, off-duty firefighters and off-duty police officers. So anybody that needs to carry anything, it could be moving, it, it could be whatever. Okay. It can be furniture. It yeah. can be, and now they're having people that are. Um, it's a, can you move my kid to college? Can you, you know, can <laughs> you know? I, I got to get my Love kid. It. He's going. He's moving to the dorm. I need. It's like fifty miles away. Can you put it in the back of the pickup truck? They're moving everything now. Yeah. And uh, but it's an app-based. App-based deal, so it's, it's in essence Uber for pickup trucks. It's, it's privately owned, so they're not doing, you know, I can't do an all-in investment on them because they're privately owned. And um, Ross Perot Jr. just made his all-in investment on them, so they don't need me anymore. No, that's smart. They're solving a problem. And on that other note, do you see any companies that would be going to the business cemetery? We keep seeing them. We're talking about. Do you see any that could be close because they're not adapting like a coyote right now? Um, I think any legacy retailer. Mm-hmm that is still um, burdened with a really heavy balance sheet of debt and is totally locked into only brick and mortar. Uh, you've got to be omni-channel now to do that. Then that's certainly um, that's certainly one. Um, you know, I, I think if you look at other things, is there another company that would be on the way to being um, Okay, you know the, the the thing is, every company ha- has some version of risk that's out there. Yeah. So, for example, um, I have some companies in the oil and gas industry. Now, it's good to be in the oil and gas industry today. Yeah. As of November 2017, it's great to be in the oil and gas business. But they're one election away, one changed election result and change in direction away from being a dodo bird. 100%. Uh, yeah. So, so one of the challenges that you face is, you know, how do you then understand, uh, and this is what I'm talking to groups about today, these days, is, you know, how do you know what's on the horizon? So in the old days, um, you're too young to remember this, but there used to be this show on television called Wagon Train. Okay. Okay, and, and the story of Wagon Train, every week it was around there. It was by the, Clint Eastwood's first TV role, I think. He played a guy named Rowdy Yates, which is a <laughs> trivia question that will get you nothing. Maybe a beer or whatever. We'll, we'll give you some um, points for it right now on the show. Right. But, you know, the, 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 the job of the, of the Wagon Master was to get the, the, the train, keep it moving across the prairie. But they had these scouts, and the purpose of the scouts, they would ride out every day, and they had two jobs. One is look for water. And two, look for hostels. 
So, you know, find the water, avoid the hostels. Yeah. And, and one of the challenges I see for every business today is that they're not spending, they're not sending people out, they're not looking out, of, they're not going out and saying, where's the water, where's the hostels? They're focusing really on executing today and realize, yeah, you have to do that, but you've got to be scouting at the same time. Yeah, and also I've heard too, like looking at what things could potentially kill your company. What, what are the threats that you have so you can overcome those as well? That's the hostel. Yeah, yeah you got to look exactly. for the water yep. and look for the hostel. 100%. Love it. Beautiful. All right, we're going to go to another game, Truth and Dare. Just do it. Got it. Which one? Uh, truth. All right, it's Truth and Dare, so we got both anyways. <laughs> so, that's, that's the trick there. All right, uh, what's, what's one business regret that you have? Um, I didn't start writing earlier. Okay. When did you start? Uh, I mean, I wrote a book. I, I wrote a, the first version of actually On My Honor was written in the early 90s, and so I wrote that one pretty pretty soon. But I stopped writing after that. I didn't write another one for you know, 10, 12 years yeah. or so. Um, and then I ended up rewriting On My Honor. That's a whole other story. But um, <laughs> you know, I didn't keep writing when, once I started, and I didn't start writing regularly soon enough. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I've, heard you, I've heard you speak about it too, about, you know, the opportunity to clarify what you're thinking, your message. And I think both of you in the same age, the listeners, just write a little bit, start writing, getting to a habit. It's unbelievable the clarity that it's brought me. Have you seen the same thing? Absolutely. And that's the big reason. It, it forces me to think, continue to think about how to be relevant. It forces you to continue to great clarity on what you believe in and, and what your message is. Uh, I mean, so for me personally, I probably, that's one thing that I wish I had done uh, differently than I did today. Uh, that's great. All right, you have the dare now, and I've had some good ones. Uh, Larry Winget did a good one the other day as well. Uh, give me one celebrity impersonation. Now, you just did one with Ross Pro. You can go back to that or any impersonation you want to do. Um, all right, let's see. Let's see if I can pull this one off. Um, So how many of you want to be more successful today than you were yesterday? Say you bet. <laughs> you bet. That's a Larry Wingett impersonation. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was perfect. He'll love that one. That's excellent. I'm yeah, sure. I mean, I, I mean, he's on he's on Fox every week. He's he's kind of a celebrity, right? He's that, on Fox every hey, week. Hey, that works. And especially, you know, that one saying, "The you bet," and you have Tony Robbins says, "Say I." You know, they each have their right. own things that they say. That was great. All right, beautiful, love it. Now this is time for deets about the tweet, and you wrote this on on your Twitter. Sometimes the promise of changing the world turns out to be just another job doing things. And this was a story about Google that was posted. Sometimes the promise of changing the world turns out to be just another job doing things. You posted about the story. Can you elaborate briefly on that? Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, the story was about this guy at Google that realized that, you know, he went to work at Google thinking he was going to change the world, and it turned out to be just a regular job. You know, with regular job, with regular people who, you know cook smelly food in the microwave and bring it back to their cubicle and do stuff like that. And, and so it, it kind of goes back to the, there's this big idea that says, uh, everybody says today, you have to find your why. Um, and, and let me clarify this. I'm not against finding your why. I'm not against having purpose. I'm not against having passion. Not at all. But I also know that some days you just got to go do the work. And it's you, you have to because there's a piece where your passion will go away. And I'll give you an example for me. Uh, I had to I had to go to a client. I was up in the heading to the northeast, and my flight got canceled. I had to be there at um, ten o'clock or ten o'clock in the morning. I had to be there, 
was going up the night before. My flight got canceled. They could get me on a flight that left at 5.30 in the morning. Now, they didn't cancel my flight until 12.30 in the morning. So I could have gone home, you know. So yeah. it's now, it's 12.30, and I've got to decide. Do I drive back to my house or what? And, you know, but I've got to be back at the airport early to catch a 5.30 flight so I can make my engagement. So I went to my car, uh, got in my car, drove to the darkest part of the park, parking garage at DFW Airport that I could find, set the alarm, climbed in the back of my SUV, and slept for about an hour and 15 minutes. All right, now... The next day, I got up and I had to get on the plane and go do what I was hired to do. Um, what do you think my passion level was that day? <laughs> you were struggling. Yeah. On, on the other hand, what kept me going during that time was the pride, one, pride in what I'm doing, and two, my obligation just to do the work. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, and so at the end of the day, people don't hire me to do you. People don't hire you. You know, they, they don't hire any of us because of our passion. Mm -hmm. They hire us to do the work, to do the job. Yeah, to do the job. And so part of that piece is, you know, you, sometimes you go to the work, think you're going to change the world. But really what you have is a job and the job is to do the work. And if you don't understand that, you're going to you're going to be pretty miserable through a lot through a big portion of your life. That's a great point. That's a great point. You know, I, I do want to talk. I, I'm blown away. Inducted into the Speaker Hall of Fame is an amazing thing. A lot of people, I think speaking is obviously a huge fear. I'm doing a lot of it. A lot of leaders are speaking. I love this 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 tweet someone wrote about you. Love how Randy Pennington answers every single question in the room instead of delivering a pre-canned presentation. So I kind of want to know, what do you do differently in your speeches? I know you work with a lot of companies, but someone to write that is awesome. What are you doing that's different that makes you stand out as a speaker? Well, I mean, that's one of the things that I do, and I, I don't get to do it in every one, but if I have the right size group and the right amount of time, because this takes some time to do it this way. So what I tell people, I, I usually open with this. I, I, I come, I, we can talk about one or two things today. Uh, I can either give you the speaker, the speaker's song and dance, which is the presentation, or we can talk about what you want to talk about. Which one is which one is most important to you? And here's what I always find: whenever I give people that question, Jesse, nobody ever says, "Yeah, give me this, give me the canned speech." So what we do is, I give them an exercise, and my job in the exercise is to identify the main. I, I give them like five minutes on the overview of what we're going to talk about, so we frame the issue. You know, I don't want them asking me a question about nuclear physics, for example. Um, and then I let them set the agenda for what are the key questions, concerns, and issues you want to make sure we get answered. And then my job is to make sure that we spend everything that I talk about goes back to one of, the, one of their questions. Love that. So that, that had to take a lot of time to be able to have the confidence to just do that. Uh, some of it's confidence. Some of it's the realization. Truthfully, here's the insider piece of that. 80% of the questions are going to be the same. <laughs> So, yeah. So, for example, if I'm talking about change to the group, which in this case I was, somebody's going to ask about resistance. Mm -hmm. 
somewhat. Now, the, how, how they ask about it, I mean, you may ask it different than me, yeah. and I may ask it different from somebody else. Somebody's going to ask about resistance. Exactly. That's just the way it's going to be. Yeah. So I know that there, I, okay, there's going to be a resistance. Somebody's going to say, how do I get buy-in? And they're going to say either, how do I get buy-in from millennials who don't buy into anything, or from old baby boomers who have seen it all, or from the Gen X people who are yeah. skeptical. I know I'm going to get that. I know I'm going to get... What do, what do I do when my boss? So I know 80% of the questions are going to be some variation of a handful of ideas. Yeah. Now, there's 20% that are probably going to have the potential to be different. But that's where the fun is. Yeah, that's where you get to think on your feet. I mean, that's the high wire act right there. The 80% is normal. The, the, the other is the high wire act that makes it fun. That, that 20% could be where you uh, do some spinating. That's where I do some spinating. Word of the day. Ding, 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 ding. 20 points. Uh, Love it. And, um, yeah. and, and it, it's also, though, where I get new ideas. Yeah, exactly. Because people will ask me questions that I, it's like, I hadn't thought about that before. Let's, let's, let's think about yeah, that. And I, so now. I want to dive into that. You say in your book, you wrote, ask me questions that will lead to new opportunities. Can you just elaborate a little more? I think you're on there right there. Right. Um, well, the two questions that I'm asking now about what else or what else and what next. So let's start with what next. What's the next thing I need to do? Like in your case, Savannah Bananas is all about the fan experience. What's the next thing we need to do right now to enhance the fan experience? What's next? And then the other thing is what else? What else haven't I thought of that I might think of? That it just sort of takes it, you know, a little step further. So you know, I'm asking those two questions: what else and what next? Mm -hmm. And by doing that, it forces me to think. Uh, you know, it's 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 one of those lessons I've learned. And by the way, I've been doing this. All this gray hair is kind of real. It's not painted in for anything, for effect or anything. But the quality of the answers that we get in our life are in direct proportion to the quality of the questions that we ask. It's brilliant. No. So we got to ask better questions. Yeah, I love it. You got to ask more questions. More questions, better. I think very few people are starting to ask enough questions as well. I love that. I, I, I want to keep moving because we're, we're having some fun. We've got off topic, which is awesome because you're winning the show by far, Randy. But you know, quotable. That's what she said, or he said. You wrote, "We often define ourselves by our past rather than our potential." That one was amazing when I saw that because we always. What is your bio? What is someone's bio? What are they? It's always about their past accomplishments, not necessarily about their potential. But I'd love to hear you elaborate on that because I think everyone needs to know that. Well, there's there's two pieces of it. Um, first off, nobody cares how good you used to be. <laughs> All right, so um, you filled a bit. You you put a baseball team on the field, however many nights a year. Yeah. Right. And let's say this year you won. I mean, you you, you were amazing. You won the league this year. Next year, what has to happen? Yeah, the, the expectation is for us to win it again. Well, yeah, and you know, and if next year if you tank, everybody's like, "Wow, Savannah Bananas." But, but I'll jump on that. That's why we don't focus on that. Everything's about the experience, the things that we can control. A lot of businesses try to focus on things they can't control. When we focus on the experience, we could lose fifteen nothing, and people have the best time they've ever had. So you can, right. there's, there's certain things you need to focus on, but I don't want to cut you off, but yeah. But, but I mean, but, but you understand the point is, yeah, exactly. it, but even from a fan experience standpoint, I have a great experience at, a, at your ball game today. Well, tomorrow you can screw that up. Yeah. Or, uh, or other I, experiences could be better at other places. We're competing against the Amazons, the Disneys, the everyone else, that they get used to that. Yeah. Right. So, so we tend to define ourselves, you know, it's sort of like the high school, the high school buddy you had in high school. Yeah. That you, you know, it's the old Springsteen stone, you know. Uh, 
about Glory Days. Yes. Right? Remember that song, that old Springsteen song, Glory Days? Yes. I well, that, I mean, so you've got to define yourself by what you're doing next and what you're yeah from a talent standpoint there's another piece of that uh i see a lot of people that were losers in a lot of jobs that truly have a lot of talent and the problem isn't they aren't loser people they were just in the the wrong space with the wrong leader with the wrong and and they weren't the right fit they were the square peg in the round hole and so from a leadership standpoint with those people I mean the first thing that we do we, we tend to say we got square peg round hole they got to leave mm-hmm. well no maybe we need to shoot first thing we need to look for is is there a square hole to be filled yeah no that's that's brilliant all right I, we're gonna go a few more little things and then another game culture club culture 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 you talk a lot about it. I know results rule was all about culture I'm fascinated by the companies that you're working with Randy right now you know what are you seeing that's how does someone build the best culture what's the I don't want to say the easiest way because we've talked about it, it takes time but what are you seeing that the most amazing cultures what are a few things that they're doing right yeah, first off, the other thing is it, it does take time, and it is relentless, and it is forever. Now, here's the big thing that I'm seeing today. A lot of people say we want to have an excellent culture. A lot of companies are saying that. I tend to look at it differently. I want you to have a culture of excellence. Those two things are different. And so the best companies today, now, part of a culture of excellence is an excellent place that engages people, that it, that inspires them, that allows them to connect. and all. But, you know, it's more than just having a good time. Yeah. Um, if, if you're going to work and just having a good time every day, um, that's not a business, that's a party. Mm-hmm. So I think the best cultures today are companies that are saying, yes, we want people to have to be engaged and feel like this is a great place to work and they want to align with us for their career and to help help us but the other thing is um, they have to execute so the best cultures are those that figure out um, that have figured out a way to marry those two so, so what do they do I mean again we've learned and our fans first you know again to love our people to care about it. when we build this and we talk about it we're repeat or repeat or repeat or repeat everything over and over again what we're trying to be what have you seen with these companies that are just like nailing it? Is there a certain company that when you think of that not everyone knows that's amazing culture and because they do this? Well, one of the things is they get it from the top and they they don't assume that the first off, they don't assume that the culture is belongs to the HR department or to the department. <laughs> yeah, to the people department or to the customer, the fan experience department. Yeah. No, the culture belongs to everybody and it comes from the top. And so, for example, uh, one of the things, Southwest Airlines is a company that's widely known for a great culture, and they're known for a culture of fun. But it wouldn't work if, if you know, Gary Kelly, their CEO, dresses up at Halloween every year, typically in spandex with kiss makeup on. <laughs> now, you know, and so if Herb Kelleher, when he was CEO, yeah. used to come to work as Elvis, riding his Harley. He used to hide in the overhead bins of the airplanes. I mean, he did all kinds of stuff like that. And so if they never see their leaders having fun, how are they going to have fun? Yeah. Exactly. You know, and, and so, if you know, so part of it, the, the best one, they, they live it from the top. Uh, the second thing that I think that they do is they realize that process and structure and system are really crucial to culture mm-hmm. because process structure and system create habits mm-hmm. so for example I want to use your business for example or as an example Jesse you want everybody to have a wonderful fan experience yeah 360 but yet if you 
if you put a process in place in your business that made it difficult for people to deliver a fan experience is like, yeah, you can deliver a fan experience, but you have to have these four levels of approval first. <laughs> doesn't happen. Right. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, yeah, so it doesn't matter what you say, it matters what the process is that allows that to happen. So a lot of businesses don't think about it that way. They think of it, well, we just tell them to have, we tell them to be empowered and they will. <laughs> no. Well, and, you need to, and, and you need to simplify the process. You know, for us, what right. we've seen is it's Fans first. The name of our company is Fans First Entertainment. Our mission is Fans First Entertain Always. First day of a job, we tell someone, you know, everything's fans first. What does that mean? Take care of the customer. Just take care of them. I, you, know, you know, Ritz-Carlton does those things where they let you have a couple hundred dollars to spend if something goes wrong. We don't care if they're spending money. Just take care of the customer. you got to keep it simple, I think. Have you noticed that with a lot of companies as well? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's part of the structure and the process. Yeah. They tend to make those things. So I, I had this one client that they talk about their expectation is find a way to say yes. Yeah. Love it. Awesome. That's it. Yeah. What's, what's our goal with customers? Find a way to say yes. Awesome. Love it. All right. We're going to do it. Sorry, you, you go on. Do, do you yeah, but I mean, so those are, those are two big things. Yeah. I mean, if, if leaders don't get it and um, and don't empower it and they don't deal process and there's a whole bunch of other stuff that we can talk about too, but those are two big ones. No, that's great. All right. Another game called Flip the Script. Now you, Randy, are the host of business done differently. So you have about one minute or you can ask me any question. I am the guest, you are the host. What's the hardest part of creating the culture that you wanna create? <laughs> there you go. That's a good question. I think the hardest part for us, 100%, is the part-time employees, the people that come in just for a little bit, um, the game day staff. So if we have 200 game day staff, how do we get that into something that we build for an entire year? That literally, you know, our people, you know, you can say the nice things. We take them on cruises. We go to these nice experiences. But it's a caring, love atmosphere that we try to create for our people where we love them, we take care of them, we're there. That the game day staff, the hard part for us is to get that when they're only here for 20 games, 25 games. So I think that's a great question. So what we're trying to figure out is how to get them part of the family, the fans first family. So even though their first days with us, they feel something special. It's not just that typical job. So that's the hardest part to get that experience all the way through. So I, here, here's the next question, because in most organizations, whether it's creating a culture or dealing with change, it's the middle of the organization where things, I mean, I, I've said this before, the middle of organizations is where change goes to die. Yeah. You get it at the top, you can do it there, but that, that barrier in the middle, that, that group of people not you, but the the group of people between you and that game day experience. Yeah. What do you do to keep them engaged and creating an experience for people they only see 20 days a year? So the, so the middle people are the full-time people. So if that's right. what you're saying, the same the full-time people, our culture, and right now, I mean, literally they're filming a movie right now. So we have this culture where we're always about producing fun things that go out to show what we're about. So we have a full-time videographer. We're the only sports team at this level to have a full-time videographer. So every day they see me like this, we are having fun, and that we know we talk over and over and over about fans first and fans first moments. So during the days, we say when I, we meet, hey, what fans first moment do we create today? And we talk about it over and over and over again. We share our stories over and over and over again. So everyone talks about is fans first. Our people say, I just went to Disney, and the lines were crazy, and it wasn't a fans first experience. And I, I was Disney because the lines and now they do a lot of things so they're noticing it everywhere so now they talk about it wherever they go they're like I was on hold for 10 minutes that wasn't fans first so that's the language so I don't know that's I, I'm trying to you're the expert at this I'm just telling you what we're doing but 
I well, think and, that's and, but see, I, I'm interested in that story because one of the things you talked about is the importance of the language that you use. Yeah. So you know. Um, yeah. So are, are are your customers? Are they fans? Are they customers? How do you talk about them? Everything's fans. So it, it, now you're really using flip the script. I like this. All right. So uh, everything's fans. And here's the internal secret that we talk about. Our biggest fans are our own people. So when we say fans first, our people know that it's everyone out there, but they also know that it's them. Our people are the ones that wear our merchandise everywhere. They're the ones that call their parents or their friends when something great happens. So when we say fans first, we think first, how can we make it the best and most amazing experience for our own people? And then how can they give the most amazing experience for them? So, uh, you know, that's part of our language. I don't know if I answered your question at all, but that's something Absolutely. that we focus internally. By the way, I have one more for you, <laughs> if, if you're up for it. Yes, let's do it. Um, the ultimate example of a fan of your baseball team is that they wear your merchandise. They want they want to be seen with your logo yeah. on. Yeah. What do you do to make sure that your staff would want to wear your logo if they had a choice, if even if they had a choice not to? They have the choice, so it's different. We let our we let our people and our fans choose our merchandise. To give you an example, we put contests on our social media to let our fans choose it, so they have ownership in what the pieces that are coming out. We let our, our staff before we come out with the new merchandise. We let them pick it. We let them be a part of it. And so some things don't sell that well, but that's the investment we make in our people feeling ownership in what's going on. So you know everything we get. I mean, it's funny. We have one one girl, our finance director. She buys and we give it to her cost almost all of our shirts <laughs> just because that's that's what, what we do so i don't know if that's have you seen other Good. examples that work no Good. that works yeah <laughs> all so, right. i mean i can go on but i can give it back to you it's no to you. no i love this that could be another one i'm gonna go on your show we're, we're gonna do a develop a new show now I, I love that randy because i think that's why you're such a great leader is that you're able to go back and ask questions and that's when you learn when you're asking questions back and forth and uh you're challenging so i i love that um uh, this is just quickly off script. If you were offered any advice to any entrepreneur right now, like what would be some advice that you would say? Some simple advice for them to stand out and be successful. Get clear on your value. Mm -hmm. Pay attention to your culture. Yeah. Be intentional about your. Get clear on your value and be intentional about your culture. Love it. Outstanding. All right. I have some other things, but I want to move to the finals here. We're going to do the Survivor Challenge. When I say with this, the Survivor <laughs> Challenge, I'm going to ask Survivor-like questions, Randy. If you don't get them right, the show's over right then. It's just done. It's cut, all right? Um, but the questions are completely sub subjective. So they can be complete. You can use spine-aiding as today's word of the show. Uh, so basically, I want to know some favorites of yours. Uh, favorite book that you come back to? Um, on Writing by Stephen King. Okay, Stephen King. So you've read it a few times. Yeah, it's a book, a Stephen King book talking about writing. Okay, Brilliant. where he talks about how to write. That's um, and and the, and the reason, and, and here's why, it's all about the clarity. It's about, it's, it's no wasted words, which in my mind means no wasted thought. It's about becoming crystal clear on exactly what you're trying to say and how you communicate that in a way that connects with people. At a, at a very personal level. Outstanding. All right, favorite speaker. Now, I know there's obviously a lot of speakers that you work with, so but one that you really uh, like their style. It's different. Um, well, I mean, the, the easy answer you would expect me to say are any of, the, any of the guys that we call ourselves the five friend, Mark Sanborn, Joe Calloway, uh, Scott McCain, Larry Wingate. Uh, 
those guys are all good. There's a guy named Peter Sheehan that I think really does nice, really good work as well. So I, 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 Peter's one of those guys I like here. And plus, he's Australian. He's got a great accent. Is it, uh, does so, anything else make him <laughs> the other the Australian accent, which draws you into it? Is anything else that makes him different in his speaking? Um, he's smart. He's a really smart guy. Yeah. Uh, and so, I mean, I like the way he thinks that that's the case. But, I mean, truthfully, you can't go wrong day in and day out with any of those first four guys that I no, mentioned. No, outstanding. Yeah. All right, f- favorite restaurant, one of your go-to restaurants? Uh, there is a little place in Dallas, South Dallas. I live in the Dallas, Texas area. There's a little place called the Pink Magnolia. And it's uh, – the chef is a lady named Blythe Beck, and it is – uh, I, I think of it as gourmet comfort food for a southern guy. Cool, cool. So their chicken fried steak is like chicken fried sirloin. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's um, their banana pudding. Their banana pudding for dessert. It's it's a caramelized. It's banana pudding with caramelized maker's mark. All right, you just got so many bonus points for the banana pudding reference. All right, right there, and the maker's mark all together. That is that is excellent. Yeah. All right, what about favorite gift you received? Is there a gift that stands out for you recently that you've received? A gift that I've received. Um, well, I mean, I can think of. I mean, a personal gift or professional gift. Either way. Um. Yeah, I mean, there have been. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, this kind of goes back to an obscure thing. I mean, there's been several. My wife has given me several and whatever. But um, you mentioned that I was a musician at Six Flags. Um, when I was 15 years old, my parents bought me a guitar. Changed everything. Uh, changed a lot of things. I mean, they'd also, when I was 12 years old, they bought me a snare drum because I was playing drums in the band. And I later went on and became a drummer. But then... I realized that it's hard to keep a band together as a drummer. The drummer is typically not the guy that keeps the band together. So uh, I started playing guitar. But my parents bought me both a snare drum and a guitar, and those two things probably had a lot to do with my development over the years. Wow. I put it full circle. Uh, uh, so you were a guitarist at Six Flags? Yeah, the group I played with at Six Flags. I, yeah, I, I was still playing drums back then, but I, the group that I was playing with, I played with a trio. Um, I was playing guitar. It was two female singers and me. We, we played as a trio. We did eight shows a day. We did eight <laughs> different shows a day. Unbelievable. Wow. That's eight, a- eight different shows a day. Uh, it was um, <laughs> it was brutal, and it was just a kick to do as well. Oh, that's a whole other story right there. All right, finally, favorite color? Um, blue. <laughs> Joe, I mean, I, I, Joe is still the only one to say, Joe Calloway is the only one to say bright yellow <laughs> and yeah. lie through his teeth right there. Uh, right, yeah, he improved. Yeah, but my favorite color, you know, most days, you know, I, I would say probably blue is probably that. I don't know. No, it's, uh, it's, that's it's, as it's, good as any, right? Yeah, it works. I just, I, I'm, I'm trying I mean, to see the know, ones that, yell, that you, you lie through I, I am wearing today, just to put it, I'm, I'm wearing today a very cool pair of suede, blue suede wingtips today. So Perfect. That's perfect. Perfect, especially down in Texas. Awesome. All right, you passed the Survivor Challenge to the final four. We'll finish up here. And we briefly touched on this before, but what is something you've done differently in your life to stand out, Randy? I stand out mostly because of the, I think the quality of my ideas and my my ability to take pretty complex ideas and make them very digestible and simple. Perfect. 
And and I, and I think that's probably the one thing that makes me, I'm not the only person that have those ideas, but I think I have that unique ability to make those connections a little differently. Simplify, great. Now we talked about this from a business standpoint, but what about from an individual standpoint? What do you think makes someone stand out in business and in life? Um, you know, I, I think it kind of goes back to the same as, I mean, we're all in the business, whether it's business or ourselves or others. You know, I, I kind of go back to, uh, I go back to two things. Fundamentals are the minimum. You've got to be good at the minimum. You've got to be good at the basics. And then you have to find ways to be, just being different is not enough. You have to be different in ways that add value. Mm-hmm. So being distinctive is not enough. There's a very fine line between being distinctive and being weird. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. That's for yeah. sure. And so what makes it distinctive is standing out in those things, finding that thing to be distinctive on that adds value, whether you're talking about to your employer, to your customer, to whoever that might be. But none of that matters if you don't get the basics right. Love it. Awesome. Final two. What's the best advice you've ever received? Um. The best advice I've ever received is don't worry about it. Don't worry about screwing it up. And when when did you get that advice? You know, years years ago, I had, I had a boss that told me, you know, because I, I had this great boss that I worked with several years ago, uh, or early in my career. And he wanted me to be innovative. He wanted me to do new stuff. That was one of my jobs was to help sort of drive the organization forward. Even though I was in a leadership role, he wanted me to be that catalyst. I was sort of the young gun there. And he says, I know you're going to make mistakes. You know, don't make big mistakes. Own them when you do. But don't worry about if you make a mistake. I want you to try stuff. Awesome. Great. And finally, Randy, how do you want to be remembered? Um... Good guy, smart guy, worked his butt off to stay relevant. (laughs) It says it all right there. Randy, it was a pleasure having you on the Business Done Differently show. I think you definitely passed. You got all the points. The best ever performance on Business Jeopardy, the Coyote and Dodo version, which was outstanding, and the most elaborate of Flip the Script. So we have confetti going here, a lot of excitement from everyone else. Uh, But Randy, how can people learn more, connect with you? I mean, so much knowledge that people can learn from you. Well, first off, I mean, there's the website, PenningtonGroup.com, PenningtonGroup, all one word, dot com. I mean, if you look on social media, I'm pretty much in all the usual suspect places, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, whatever. Uh, if you want to connect with us on a regular, ongoing basis, uh, Larry Wingett, who I know you've had, and a guy named Scott McCain and I have something on Facebook, a fri- private Facebook page called UBS Insider. And that's where we're there. In fact, I just before today, uh, I was just on UBS Insider. We do a Facebook Live every week. We do um, answer questions. We do that kind of stuff. That's another way that you can connect with us if you want to. Outstanding. We'll have all that in the show notes. So, Randy, thanks again for everything. We really appreciate you. Oh, Jesse, thank you. I look forward to coming down and catching a baseball game. <laughs> we'd, uh, love, we'd love to have you in Savannah. Yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to see, you know. And I'll even I'll, – I'll, uh, even make sure I'm not, it's not a team that wears blue when I come. <laughs> Today, we learned even more about how to think differently. Sometimes in life, professional is boring and weird wins. So thanks for listening. And remember, the world needs more people being different. So whatever's normal, do the exact opposite. Be different, stand out, have fun, and enjoy the show. Until next time, stop standing still, start standing out. <laughs>